Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Marks, and this is Young History, episode 34 on Montenegro. The capital of this country is Podgorica, and there's a lot to say about this one. This is our first Balkan country, which is a region of southern Europe that has so many historical clashes, cultural differences, and so many things within this region that it's it's crazy to think at one point they were completely united as Yugoslavia. But the name Montenegro actually means Black Mountain, Monte and Negro. And in the name, it is named after the Lochin Mountain, which is inside of the country. And when it comes to Europe, Montenegro actually has the highest number of species per area. It's something like 0.8 species per a certain area, which is very small. And it's the most, it's the highest population of that in anywhere in Europe. And out of the 530 species of bird that are in all of Europe, you could find about 330 of them within Montenegro very regularly. And it also has arguably the highest foreign investment coming into the country out of anywhere in Europe, which is insane. And that's just some of the few things about this country, and we're going to get into the origins, going to get into all sorts of it, and, you know, we're just going to figure this one out because this is a lot to take in as it is a Balkan country, and the Balkans just... We're going to avoid a lot of it here because Montenegro doesn't have the same clashes that Serbia and Albania does, or uh, Croatians and Bosnians, or any of the three flipping a coin. It's it's a lot when it comes to those, but when it comes to Montenegro, they're also considered the very sleepy kind of cousin of the Balkans. So we're to get into why, we're to get into how, and we're getting to all of that right now in this episode. So thank you all so much for being here. My name is Alex Marks. This is Young History, and this is Montenegro. When it comes to beliefs of Old Illyrian, it tells of a royal family that were living in Thebes. They were being cursed by the gods for some of their old sins, and it caused a great misfortune to come to them and anyone around them. In order to avoid thrusting this upon their people, they actually left Thebes and moved into the Balkans. This is where they would have their child, Illyrius, and would end up being who would end up being the father of the Illyrian people of the Balkans. Archaeological and more known history that would be with the Proto-Illyrians who occupied the region before anyone else. They were very likely migrants from Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey. Around the 5th century BC is when they arrived, and they ended up becoming the full Illyrian culture throughout the Bronze and Iron Age because of their continued development of their own culture and becoming separate from anything that was building in Rome as well as anything that was building throughout the region of the Mediterranean. Or in Greater Europe, they were definitely their own culture. The Illyrians were very unique. And they started to see expansion around 2000 BC is when they started to gain more land and started to move on forward with their goals and forward with everything they were already doing because the Illyrians weren't this, they weren't a kingdom of any sort. It wasn't like they were all completely united. There was very different cultures within the Illyrians, within the Balkans, which is something that carries on throughout all of Balkan history is despite being direct border neighbors, you can be completely different, which is common throughout the world, as we see with Canada, U.S., and Mexico, and anywhere else in Europe, or the world. So they definitely had their own differences, had their own problems, they had their own culture, which, despite this, was still expanding farther because the Illyrians themselves started to spread throughout the Adriatic coast and throughout the Balkans. And things would start to heat up under the rule of Queen Tatu, who was in power when the Illyrians first started to attack Roman 
outposts and territories within the Balkans and near the Adriatic coast. And because of these attacks and raids that were taken from Rome, Roman emissaries were deployed out to talk to the queen, and they asked for reparations, they asked for payment back for all that had happened, and she refused, and while the emissary was storming off angrily, she actually ordered him to be killed, so on his way home, he was killed. And as soon as this news hit Rome of this murder, they declared war. And this would lead into three major wars with Rome happening throughout the next century. And all three of them would result in the exact same thing, which is Roman victory. And it actually led to the land where Queen Tattoo was re- was. It actually led to the land where Queen Tattoo was ruling to become a vassal state of Rome and have to pay out different tributes and contributed citizens to the Roman war effort and the Roman legions. And it would be known as two different names. It would be, it would be Illyricum for a while, and then it would end up being Dalmatia, which is because of its location on the Dalmatian coast. When Eastern and Western Rome split into the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire, the area where Montenegro would end up being was kind of directly split between the two in the Balkans. And because of this, they were there to kind of survive until the truth came out, which was that the Eastern Roman Empire would be the one to eventually push on as the Western Roman Empire fell. And just like in Western Rome, there would kind of be a similar invasion that happened, which would be when the Ostrogoths came and attacked all the Balkans, and they take over the full land. And this would be the story of them for a while, constantly being invaded, and the next one that would happen would actually be the Byzantines, who would follow soon after taking over, who would follow the invasion and take over by the Ostrogoths by coming there themselves and taking over. And this would kind of start another back and forth of different, now once again, the this would kind of start a thing where this land had already been conquered by the Romans, now they're being conquered by the Eastern Roman Empire under the Byzantines, and this happens and comes back quite a few times. The next major group that would have an effect on Montenegro would actually be the Avars, as they would move in from the east, and kind of a Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan-style attack would ride horseback and terrorize all of Eastern Europe as they raided it. And this caused a lot of Slavic people to start to move down into the Balkans, which was the earliest part of the Slavization of the Balkan culture, which happened around 550 AD. And Slavic Montenegro was pretty much established within the next few decades, and it would actually be known as Duklia, the Principality of Duklia to be specific. And Despite having old ties to the Byzantines, they actually allied with the Serbian kingdom to fend off different invaders. One of the major ones that would be invading would actually be the Bulgarian Empire, which was very aggressive in the Balkans at the time. And despite this, they actually failed in the 19 and in 1960, the Bulgarians in despite this, they would actually fail and in 960 AD, the Bulgarians would actually take over Duklia and make them a vassal state once again. So now Duklia and the same ethnic people that were paying out to the Byzantines and Romans were now paying back out money to the new conqueror, which was Bulgaria. But this wouldn't last long because the Byzantines would attack once again and would actually win. And this would make Montenegro once again vassal for the Byzantines, which is just another part of them being a vassal under Rome in whatever form it was, be it the Byzantines or Rome itself. And in between the 6th and 7th centuries and dripping into the 8th century eventually, Christianity would actually come to this land and start to take over within a few hundred years, and it is still the main religion today, especially Eastern Orthodox, because there are ties with Russia, which we'll see soon. And then Duclea was actually able to kind of garner power again, and in 1039, it broke away from the Byzantine Empire and established himself as independent again, and 
This may have lasted longer, but they actually made a mistake, which was when a Byzantine shipwrecked on the Montenegrin shore. It was actually raided very heavily by the people of Duclea, and the king ordered the treasure to be taken. So they kept all of it, and it pissed off the Byzantines. So the emperor of the Byzantine, of the Byz the emperor of the Byzantine Empire actually put, sent a small army out to go deal with them, and to kind of check the Duclean king and say, "Okay, bro, you know who I am. Like, let's figure this out." But despite this invasion, the very mountainous terrain that Duclea was now occupying actually allowed for them to get a long-awaited victory over the invading Byzantines because they were very much like the Romans and didn't have this kind of different trading in, in other terrains other than open battlefields and forests. So when it came to this, they were very disadvantaged and actually ended up losing the battle. And relations with the Byzantines would actually start to like get... Relations with the Byzantines would actually start to get a lot better when a new king came into power who was different than the one that previously raided the shipwrecked ship of the Byzantines. And this new king would actually establish an agreement with the Byzantines to guarantee that Duclea would actually have its own independence and this lasted only for a time as instability started to hit the land and there was different disagreements politically and royally over who should rule the throne which actually led to the Byzantines kind of reestablishing the land as a vassal state because now they were the ones enacting more order in the chaos that was how the country was being ran and because of this weakness, it was actually susceptible to another invasion, which was where the Byzantines took kind of the coast because of its value. The Serbian kingdom actually took over the rest of it on its path towards becoming the Serbian Empire, which would happen in 1186. The Serbian kingdom would eventually become the Serbian Empire and would rule for quite a while. And Serbia would rule as a kingdom for a while and eventually become the Serbian Empire, which would rule over this land of what was Duclea for quite a while and this would last up until 1371 when the Serbian Empire actually fell and now the land was calling itself Zeta which is the Montenegrin land to break away from this falling Serbian Empire. Zeta lasted as an independent place for only a very brief time because the Venetians actually moved into the land because they were able to buy it out from under people from the merchants and the other land dwellers that were living there and eventually a war was fought with Venice to establish control of Greater Zeta and the first war was kind of a wash. Both sides ended up signing agreements and having to pay reparations, had to pay reparations to each other. But the second war saw Zeta at a very weak point because it was struggling to get over the first war. And it was actually inherited by the Serbians as the Zetan king died because now there was confusion with royalty and it gave the Serbians a new way to move in. And because of this, the Venetians were now fighting Serbia as the controllers of Zeta and ended up being defeated and going back to Venice. And under the Serbian control, they were actually able to extend their rule quite a bit, as well as, as well as move forward throughout the Dalmatian coast and kind of establish themselves as a more prominent power in the land. And it wouldn't be long after this original Serbian control that a brief independence would come for Zeta, and they would be able to run themselves, but that didn't last long as the Ottomans would start to arrive. Because the Ottoman Empire started to take over more and more, they took over Greece and different parts of the Balkans, and spread up throughout... Northern Africa, the area where Israel is, and all of these regions. And they also took what was Zeta. And this is where the name Montenegro first comes because it was called the Sanjak of Montenegro under the Ottoman Empire. And there was always a resistance to the Ottoman rule that went on within the country. And for a time, they actually gained partial independence 
because of the fact that there was constant riots going on, there was protests all the time, there was anything that the people could do to stand up to Ottoman rule, they were doing it because it felt different than Serbia or Venice being in control because despite some Zetans, I guess I should say, not wanting either of these people to be in control, at least they were European. And when it comes to the Ottomans, they, of course, we even see this now, there's a big gap between how the Ottomans and Turkey look when they're trying to get into greater Europe. There's a big clash of culture, big clash of relations, and this happened at this point as well. And there was a time where protests and uprisings of sorts ended up seeing a lot of innocent civilians killed underneath Ottoman rule, and this allowed Montenegro to start making ties with Greater Europe because of its location in the Balkans and the fact that innocent people were being killed, and this was something the European world stood up against because they also wanted to be able to use this land as a place that was standing up against the spread of Islam because that was always the fear of Christianity is that Islam would kill off Christians and Christianity and everything of that sort. Hint, hint, the Crusades. And a war would actually break out not long after between the Montenegrins and the Ottomans because of the civilians killed. And this was in late 1809, where the Ottomans were much weaker than they were before. And this actually allowed Montenegro to expand its influence on the coast because it was getting backing from Europe, which actually led to an early independence, where in the 1850s, there was a different leadership to be put in place in Montenegro. It was actually called the Prince Bishops of Serbia because now ties would be reestablished with Serbia because they were breaking away from anything from the Ottomans, trying to get back to Europe. And they had a lot of old connection with Serbia and wanted to keep it that way. Uh, throughout the rest of the 1800s, it would be called the Prince Bishopric of, Montene of Montenegro. And different Prince Bishops elected by Serbians would be sent to control Montenegro. And within this time period, a little bit before and a little bit after, this is when Russian ties were actually starting to grow because it's always talked about how Montenegro has some level of ties with Russia. And that is true because here, as the Russian Empire was growing, there was a lot of requests for Slavs to be liberated and for Slavic support and vice versa. So there was always this kind of cry from the Russian Empire to help the ethnic Slavs that were in the Balkans because they always saw them as their people, much like we see today when Russia just kind of takes the land at once because it feels that it's liberating its people. And for a long time, there's a lot of connection between the two countries of Montenegro and Russia. And hopping back bishopric of Montenegro that was going on, Peter II is actually the greatest leader of the French bishops at any point. And Peter II was someone who fought hard against the Ottomans. He tried to unite with Serbia fully. He helped modernize agriculture and was actually a poet himself. So he had a lot of wide-ranging effect on the country and is always regarded as the best prince bishop that was ever to rule Montenegro. And by 1910, the Montenegrins would actually write a constitution to help them become a kingdom and start to elect their own kings and have their own royalty. And this would only last until about 1912 when the Balkan League would be established, which was a coalition of former Ottoman-ruled states, and in 1912, there was a war declared just before the First World War where Montenegro would fight against the Ottomans with the backing of the rest of the Balkan League. It would actually get a victory, and this ended up leading to Montenegro expanding its lands into what is modern-day Kosovo. And when it came to World War I, Montenegro actually declared war on Austria-Hungary, despite Austria-Hungary trying to sway them away because they had their older ties to Russia and still kind of felt that that was best for them. And they also knew that if they were fighting the Austro-Hungarians, they would also be fighting against the side that the Ottomans were on, which, of course, they had a nasty history with and didn't want to stand with. And this would end up being leading... This would end up... This would lead to 
the Montenegrins being on the winning side of the war because they were not fighting with Austria-Hungary, they were fighting against them, and it ended up leading into the formation of Yugoslavia, which was formed after World War I. Now, when it came to World War II, there was a lot of clashes already culturally between the Balkans, but Montenegro kind of just chilled out, didn't want to be a part of that. And Italy took over in World War II, almost all of the Balkans, and this lasted only until the Allies came, liberated the land, and Yugoslavia was now starting to fall apart because communists were taking power within Montenegro and within other parts of the Balkans. And communism had a bunch of different sects as it started to spread, and you could see that here because there was very Soviet-style communism, which wasn't the size, the same style of communism that was spreading throughout Yugoslavia because there was kind of a style of Yugoslavic communism that was much different. And because of this, there would be a lot of clash between the Russians and the Balkans. And this would end up leading to the dissolution of Yugoslavia because there just was that big cultural clash, there was wars going on, and it just wasn't something that made sense anymore. And it was actually interesting because Serbia and Montenegro, who had always kind of been close and always united in either writing or literally, they were the only ones that actually didn't, of the countries in the Balkans, they were the only ones that didn't vote in support of breaking up Yugoslavia. They were the ones that actually supported staying with it and not giving it up. And this actually led to Montenegro being looked at unfavorably by the Croatians and the Albanians because they saw that they were siding so much with Serbia, which of course created a clash between them. But this wouldn't last too long as the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia was established after World War II and lasted pretty much until the 90s, where these countries were getting more and more socialist and more communist of sorts. And despite being separate from the USSR, they still had similar mindsets. So they were considered behind the Iron Curtain and established this Social Federal Republic of Yugoslavia to more embody what their politics were looking like now. And a new thing that I never knew was actually that the Italian Mafia had quite the influence in Yugoslavia because within the Yugoslav wars that were going on between Croat Serbs, Albanian Serbs, different things like that, a lot of different trade embargoes hit Montenegro because of its location, because of it being within Yugoslavia and the Socialist Republic of Yugoslavia. Its location on the coast actually allowed it to lead to a lot of smuggling off of it because of its connection to how close it was to Italy and the rest of the Mediterranean. And for a long time, Montenegro would actually be deeply involved with the Italian Mafia, helping them smuggle different goods and drugs and anything else from the Montenegrin coast to Italy and out of Italy into Montenegro as well. And it would be around the 90s when things would start to change and this would start, as the Soviet Union fell, so did the favor towards communism and socialism in general, and it would start to fall apart within the Balkans. And despite this falling apart fully, there was still the connection between Serbia and Montenegro. And it would actually be in 2006 that there was a vote to break away, which won with barely, barely, barely any change, any majority. It was literally 54, 55% that won the majority to break away from Serbia because of how many ethnic Serbs are in Montenegro and vice versa. But the break happens nonetheless, and they become two fully independent countries that are separate, separate, separate. And Russian ties start to kind of spread from good throughout the past few centuries to start to lean towards not as great. Because as the earlier things were happening between Russia and Ukraine, not the one that happened this year in 2022, more the ones that were happening in the meddling election, the meddling of elections in the early 2000s, and then in 2014 with the attack on the eastern region of Ukraine, as well as the annexation of Crimea, a lot of those events led to Montenegro leaning more towards the west, which would actually sour Russian ties greatly. And there was actually a Russian planned plot to overthrow the president of Montenegro. They would have him appear weak and then they would help stage a coup and help put a Russian kind of puppet leader on the throne on the in the presidential seat I should say but that was ended up being discovered and failed greatly 
And then as of 2016, the country actually joined NATO and has started its work towards joining the EU, where, where it has its interview in 2025 to become an EU member. And with that, it's also already transitioned to having the euro as its main currency. And throughout all this, it's been able to avoid any of the clashes between Serbians and Albanians. As I've said throughout this episode quite a few times, there's a lot of clashes between those different cultures, which we'll see eventually. But Montenegro was able to avoid all of it. While they're fighting, Montenegrins are laying down, they're chilling out, they're staying on their beaches, and they don't want to be a part of it because they just don't have the same... They don't have a dog in that fight. They don't have anything to fight for. Montenegrins don't have a beef with anyone the way that Serbians and Albanians do or any of the other Balkans. So they've just been chilling out throughout all that. But that doesn't mean the country's at in complete peace or perfection or anything like that. There have been protests throughout the country in the past five to ten years because of there's because of the different fraudulent elections that kind of happened. There have been different people in power for too long, different people in and out of what's been going on. And there's also been moves from the government to try and take power from churches. Any churches that haven't been used in a while are starting to be broken down and repurposed. And this upsets a lot of people because of kind of the meaning behind churches and the connection to religion. And with that, that kind of gets us to the present where this is by far the most common of all the Balkans, as I've been saying this whole time. And it's literally called the sleepy cousin by some of the other Balkans, as well as some Montenegrins themselves. And they currently have a very high rating on the Human Development Index. They rank as number 40-something, I believe which is pretty good considering that's there's almost 200 countries at 193, arguably 195 with Vatican City and Palestine. And despite that, you know, being up in that upper quarter is pretty impressive. And just one random thing that I think is pretty cool about Montenegro is it's pretty common for Orthodox Christian couples to actually plant an olive tree together when they get married to help unify the growing of their relationship, the nurturing of it, and the unity it takes to help raise that plant. It's supposed to correlate to their marriage and the unity they will have. So I thought that was pretty cool. And with that, that gets us to the point where I always like to leave it the same way, which is with a kind of mindset or a takeaway. And with this one, I have to say it's to take rest when you need it. Listen, the Montenegrins are very, very proud of their much more chill culture. There's even a competition that happens within Montenegro. Geography Now helped with this information. It's that there's actually kind of like an Olympics in one of their cities where whoever can like lay in bed and not do anything the longest can win a couple hundred euros, which is, you know, very much in line with their culture is they just aren't active like that. They aren't active in wars. They aren't hugely active politically. They just, they're just kind of moving with the flow. They're, they look around, they see, okay, most countries around me, are starting to move towards NATO and the EU. I'm gonna do it too. So they got into NATO, they're making a move towards the EU, they got the Euro. And as I've said, they're just not involved with those kind of Balkan conflicts. Of course, there's been things throughout their history, as we said, but they just don't have that same kind of clash and anger that a lot of the Balkans do. And that's kind of one of their strengths. So I'm gonna say that to you is if you need to rest, if you see that everything around you is kind of going crazy, it's be it your fault or be it not, just take a second, take a second, take a week, take a day, take whatever you need to just understand what's going on, to break away from it all, to break away from the negativity, the struggle, whatever's holding you down and just accept it. Just understand that things are going pretty crazy right now throughout the world and if it's hitting you personally, it's okay to pull back. Take your foot off the gas a little bit if you feel like you're losing control. So that's really all I have to say is just look at the way this country has survived with its kind of culture of being calm and not as crazy within one of the craziest regions in the world, being the Balkans, and apply that to yourself. No matter what situation you're in, know that it's okay to rest and know that nothing is more important than being calm taking everything in and just getting it done. So that's pretty much that. And I'm going to wrap it up right here and say, 
Thank you guys so much for watching this one. I'm very glad we finally got to do a Balkan country. That's always one of the coolest regions in history is the Balkans. They just have so much going on. And yeah, this was a fun one and there's many more to come. So thank you guys so much for watching. And my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And that, that was Montenegro. Thank you.